Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast is created for hungry entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, personal development resources, and actionable tips. Now for your host, Jason Wright. This is episode number 89, Keep Your Eyes on the Prize with Daniel Amaduri. What is going on, everybody? Jason Wright here, bringing you yet another episode of the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by... FunnelVisionCourse.com. Funnel Vision is a course I put together to teach you about marketing through Facebook or Google, driving that traffic into a marketing or sales funnel, then utilizing automation to keep that moving, keep that working, and to communicate with those customers, uh, not in real time. So if you're interested in learning about any of that, check out FunnelVisionCourse.com. It's completely free. It takes you three days to get all the content, and I know that you will find that very, very valuable. Today, before we get into the conversation piece to the show, I want to talk about getting back to basics in your business. For me, I realized here a few weeks ago that, you know what, I haven't done a ton with the motivation side of the business here lately, and I want to get back into that because for certain people that, that need that, whether it's daily or at a certain crossroads, it can be very, very positive. It can make a really big impact. And I enjoy doing that. And I enjoy that, you know, that motivation piece um, to receive that myself as well. So what I did is I set up just uh, through my chat bot, I set up just a little daily motivation note uh, through Facebook Messenger. It's obviously free, but it's something simple I can set up on Sunday and automate that for as many weeks as, as I want to. And the people that appreciate that, get that value delivered, and it kind of uh, supports the podcast and the blog side of the business from a motivation aspect. So my point here isn't to to pitch you that or, or direct you to that, but to make you think about your own business and think, you know, is there anything that you've gotten away from? Is there anything that was foundational for you at one point that you've just focused elsewhere and kind of forgot about? Uh, sometimes it's nice to get back to those basics and reconnect some of those things that have become disconnected um, just to get complete and get whole again. So today I'm talking to Daniel Amaduri from Future Money Trends. Uh, we have a great conversation. Um, I really enjoyed this podcast as I do most of them. And without any further ado, let's check out that conversation now. What is happening, everybody? I've got another amazing guest with me today. I've got Daniel Amaduri, and he is from... FutureMoneyTrends.com. He's an entrepreneur, a podcast host himself, and the president of Future Money Trends. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show today. No problem at all. So I would love to hear how you first got started with this business and your, your pursuits in entrepreneurship. Well, I, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a young boy. My mother has stories of me when I was five uh, selling things door to door or getting in trouble at school for, for undercutting the teacher, selling pencils for nine cents. The teacher was selling for 10. So 
I've always been fascinated with entrepreneurship and business, allocation of money, saving money, never materialism. I got very lucky. I didn't ever went down that road. Just always been fascinated with money, though. So at the same point in time, even though I wasn't materialistic, it was hard for you know anybody to say, hey, I, I love learning about money or I love making money because it's kind of taboo in our society, right? Like everybody wants to be rich, but you're not supposed to be able to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was something that like, you know, I just was always fascinated. When I was 13 years old, somebody gave me a book called Want to Be Rich and Happy, Don't Go to School by Robert Kiyosaki, um, who later went on to write a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which most people are familiar with the, the that book series from there on. But he actually wrote a book before that, and I read that book, and of course I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant. And uh, I really just came out of the gate uh, running after I graduated high school. I started buying homes. Got very lucky in the sense that it was the year 2000 and I was a Southern California resident. Imagine how lucky that is to be able to buy homes uh, at the very, very beginning of a bubble. Uh, The greatest bull market in housing ever and probably one of the greatest bubbles in uh, housing ever. And so – um, I did have to go through the phase of where I confused uh, a, a little bit, a, a little, or a little lot of luck with uh, brains, and had to go through a crash. But ultimately, I ended up doing the YouTube videos as a hobby about the economy. Made some very accurate predictions about Lehman Brothers and AIG and uh, Fannie, Freddie, and Countrywide Mortgage. And from there, I started Future Money Trends. And honestly, I, I wish I could say that I, I created this big plan. But I was doing what I loved. I was doing these YouTube videos and and the the, the writing for free for at least a year and a half before anyone ever thought about paying me. So I was really doing what I loved. And my wife uh, really was encouraging me to start a newsletter. And uh, so finally, after six months of hearing her push and push and push me because she wanted to quit her job. She was a teacher and we just had a kid. And uh, so finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'll uh, start my own newsletter, and uh, after building up the newsletter for about six months, we opened it up to advertisers, and I've been full-time doing this newsletter since, uh, I'd I'd say, late 2010, early uh, 2011, uh, probably January 2011 to be exact, and um, I've never looked back. Now, I I also have to say I've, I've just always been very passionate about uh, teaching people what I've learned about money. And I was doing it for free anyway. And I'm still doing it for free because most of our newsletters that we run, that we operate are free. So I'm still doing this for free. Uh, as far as the consumption part of it, we just get paid by advertisers. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that story. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, it's funny that you bring him up. I'm familiar. I haven't, uh, I have not read the Cashflow Quadrant, but I'm familiar with it. But I have Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm reading another one of his books now, actually, and it's called, uh, I think it's Second Chance or Your Second Chance or The Second Chance. Uh, are you familiar with it? I'm actually not. I'm kind of blown away. I, I, it must be a really, it's it I like think a it's brand newer. new one. I think it's newer. Yeah, it's got to be brand new. It's, uh, it's highly addictive. It's a little bit larger book, but I'm probably three quarters of the way through it. It's highly, highly addictive. And, you know, he's right. I was actually talking to somebody ironically about this yesterday. And it was talking about repeating the, the mistakes of his parents financially and that type of thing. And then I just said, you know, are you familiar with Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I don't think this guy was. I don't think he knew what I was talking about, which kind of blew my mind. But uh, I just was telling him, you know, there's, there's no financial education in schools. And we started talking about it. And he started kind of having that aha moment, like, you're right. You know, you're right. And you now Robert Kiyosaki is, is definitely the, the author that I attribute 
my awakening to in that area. And I continue, I want to continue reading what he's got. I think he's got like 20, 20 some books. So, yeah, I know for sure, like the Rich Dad Poor Dad book and Cashflow Quadrant, to me, those are like two must reads. Rich Dad Poor Dad is about mindset. Cashflow Quadrant gets into a little bit more details. His other books are also good reads. However, I kind of felt like he was rehashing a lot of stuff and uh, a lot of it was just him being an author pumping mm. out books. Mm-hmm. But for sure, if you're listening to this, Cashflow Quadrant and the, the original book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, my goodness, what a great book for, it's a great story. Uh, phenomenal. But all, all of his books and of course his podcast and just listening to the man, you can also learn a lot. Absolutely. And this is kind of, um, I guess off my notes, I'm just curious now, do you still feel like real estate investing is a a great place for entrepreneurs to focus? I do because of the leverage aspect of it, because you can, if you want to be rich, you've got to move some big numbers. And uh, the the real real estate is a turnkey way that anybody can get involved in and move some really big numbers. So though you you might not have that much money in front of you, you can control a two or three hundred thousand dollar asset. And from the profits of that, there could be a, you know, let's say a thirty thousand dollar profit on a flip or a fixer or something or maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars. But just the numbers are bigger. So I'm attracted to real estate. Um, it's funny. I was reading a book uh, yesterday and it was about Trump and I know he can be very controversial, but just talking about his real estate. And I was really kind of just sitting there going, man, it takes a lot of cojones to to start dealing with numbers like that in the, where you start dealing with 50 and 100 million dollar skyscraper projects. And I haven't even attempted that yet. I haven't even gotten out of doing fourplexes, so I'm nowhere near that level. But uh, certainly real estate offers uh, up an, an easy way to get yourself in the mix of, of dealing with bigger numbers, which are going to equate to bigger profits. Mm-hmm. Are we, were you reading uh, The Art of the Deal by chance? I was not. I was actually reading a book by Newt Gingrich called uh, Understanding Trump. Gotcha. I thought it was fascinating. He had a hilarious story. You have to read the book or just read, listen to one of his interviews. But the way the way Trump came to run for president, he asked Newt Gingrich, he goes, how much is it going to cost to do the first three primaries? And Gingrich goes, about $80 million. And Trump looked at him and said, so a yacht, and this will be a lot more fun. And then Gingrich was like, from there on, I knew he was going to do it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is hilarious. (laughs) So when you think about startup entrepreneurs, so we'll kind of say that zero to maybe three-year window, maybe it's zero to two years. What do most entrepreneurs do with investing and what should they be doing in your opinion? Well, look, if, if you're an entrepreneur focusing on building your own business, I think that should be your sole focus. And I think you really should have a strong focus on cash. Because what, what's going to happen is if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, especially in the early stages, and you're trying to be an investor at the same time and equally as good, you're likely to end up in a cash crunch. And you're going to have to sell your investments, whether they're up or down, because you're going to need that capital for your entrepreneurship. And I think you're, entre- you're always going to make more money as an entrepreneur than as an investor or an employee. Now, I'm not talking about the few unicorns out there that, you know, invest $5,000 in a Bitcoin and make $10 million. I'm talking about for the most part, if you talk to any business owner or any investor, or what's really interesting, even an investor, uh, excuse me, even a business owner who has, to, who has uh, uh, a business that is related to investments, ultimately, 
they'll tell you that when you ask them, have you made more money from your investments or have you made more money from your business? It's going to be their business. So you definitely want to be reinvesting money into your business. And if you're not reinvesting money, keep some cash. Uh, one of the biggest things entrepreneurs suffer from, including I can tell you, me personally, I did this in, in uh, a real estate business. I did this early on in, with Future Money Trends, is not having enough capital, have not having enough cash just sitting there, whether it's for operations or opportunity. You need some opportunity capital. So you asked about what should entrepreneurs be doing about investments. So that would be my answer, especially to early stage entrepreneurs, would be to almost practically don't invest. Just focus on your business. Focus on building your business because ultimately, look – it's great to compound wealth at 7%. Uh, it's great to have a rental property that pays you an extra 400 a month. But that business you're building, that can make you millions. That can that can change your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I like what you said about opportunity cash. I never thought about that but uh, in, this, in those terms, but that's, that's a great way to put that. Very good. So I keep ha- I keep having seen this reoccurring theme here lately with my guests and YouTube keeps coming up and YouTube has the ability to really do some great things for people. I'd love to hear how it has impacted your credibility and the growth of your brand. I would say it's it's the first off. I run a newsletter, and exclusively our subscribers come from YouTube. YouTube, and they're free, by the way, too. So here, my competitors to get a subscriber are paying roughly, let's say, ten dollars for a financial, like call it a lead. Um, we get them for either zero to, let's say, a few cents because we're just making videos on YouTube. Now, YouTube is the second most popular, second most used search engine after Google. Now, of course, Google owns YouTube, but that it is. But if you separate the two, YouTube is the second most popular search engine after Google itself. And of course, Google is always going to have a bias towards. Uh, pushing out YouTube videos when somebody search for video inside within Google, which everybody uses Google. Um, so YouTube is is definitely a, a, a very good vehicle that people can use. I exclusively used it. Um, I started doing YouTube videos in 2008, and it was a, as a hobby. I did about 242 videos with a $20 Logitech webcam with zero editing, just me sitting in front of uh, an office or a, in, in actually in a bedroom office. And spouting out what I thought people should know about the economy, things I'd learned about the economy or things I'd learned about making money and and different personal finance tips. I did that for years. And um, Google, this is, excuse me, I'm sorry, YouTube uh, was taken over by Google. And when that happened, uh, Google contacted me and I was one of the very first YouTube partners and I actually made some money doing these videos. And then I got uh, a sponsorship. Somebody wanted to individually say, Hey, look, why don't you just do an intro ad on our, our video on your videos and we'll start paying you. So that's how, that's how I started making money in YouTube, both from Google paying me and from direct sponsors actually paying me. Some of them paid me as high as a thousand dollars per video, which, Hey, if you do four videos for these, these guys, I was making $4,000 a month just from that one individual sponsor. Um, and then of course, later I removed all monetization from my YouTube videos, Google ads, other sponsors, and completely replaced it in 2010 
uh, with getting everybody to go to my website. Cause, cause one thing that had scared me was I had saw some popular YouTube channels would get removed for terms and use violations or something odd, you know, a copyright infringement. And that scared the hell out of me. Cause I was like, I'm making good money here. And it's, I don't want to lose this. Um, you know, I'm basically doing a hobby that I was doing for free for over a year. Now all of a sudden everybody's paying me to do this hobby. So I didn't want to lose that. So that's, that's one of the other reasons why we created the website uh, because we were able to have a direct relationship with the people who were watching the videos, not only having their email address where I could reach out to them directly, but having a brand that was outside of the YouTube uh, YouTube's control. So um, now my videos, you'll never see an advertisement on my video. You'll just see, you know, an encouragement to go back to the futuremoneytrends.com website. Yeah, it's a little more comforting to build a, a house on your own land than rented land, isn't it? Yeah, especially when you're dealing with a behemoth like Google, who if you do have a violation, from what I've heard from many people, you're not even dealing with a human. You've got to appeal this in like a Scantron-type situation <laughs> to a computer, and it gives you its automatic reply within like a minute. It's like running your credit. You know, you don't even have a fighting chance. And if they decide you need to be terminated, uh, the Terminators are dispatched and they're on their way. <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> Well, very, very cool. Um, so something you said about the, the YouTube that really got my attention is uh, I think it's really important. I think you honed, on, honed in on this early, but to almost pick one social channel or, or one medium and really focus on it because I think a lot of people, and I've done this before as well, but I think a lot of people feel like I need to be everywhere, and, and it is a lot of work to try to maintain social profiles and likes and shares and posts and everything the right way everywhere. I mean – do you agree in that you just you just kind of pick one really impactful one and roll with it or what are your thoughts? I do and it you almost kind of touch on Pareto's law the 80 the rule of 80/20 where 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort and uh you know if you even break that down take the 20% down and then the, it, within the 20% there's an 80/20 rule as well and I would say for me that's YouTube. So I like Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I've got a few thousands of followers. I'm I'm on Facebook. I have no clue. I'm logged in in 4 or 5 years. It's simply the web guy probably <laughs> Posting things, and um, you know, and then I'm sure we're on Instagram. I'm sure the web because we have two web teams now, so I'm sure they, they're on all those sites. But the only one I focus on is YouTube. It's where I get my results. It's what I enjoy. It's easy for me. Look, I know some people only use Facebook or only use Twitter. It, I think you nailed it on the head. You don't have to be on all of them. You don't have to be active on all of them. Just pick one that you enjoy, and that's the one you're going to excel at. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's very very good advice. Sorry about that. I just uh, turned away from the mic and I was talking into the open air. I don't know what I was doing. No um, let's see these three tips I wrote down. This is actually pretty funny because I'm gonna say this right on the air, but they make no sense at all. So I won't read those to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was tired when I wrote that. So let me ask you this, uh, and this is interesting. I don't think I've any, asked asked anybody this before, but if you could go back to when you were in kind of startup phase and give yourself some advice. What are three tips you would give yourself just uh, as a startup for good, not only financial um, practices, but just entrepreneurial practices to make sure that you survived that period? Uh, without a doubt, two things I would definitely push to my my younger self is to over to be, re, be very focused about over delivering. I did not fully comprehend that until later when I really when it really started to turn into a bigger business. And uh, we became so focused on over delivering. That means 
uh, in every aspect, whether it is uh, an advertiser who's looking for a certain amount of traffic or whether it is a subscriber who's learning about uh, money on your website, like the Future Money Trends site, and um, they email us. I not only will reply to them and make sure they get all their, their everything I can do for them, but I will even schedule a phone call if they need a further uh, follow-up. So in everything we do, you want to over-deliver. That is what's going to separate you from all of your competition, and it's also going to be your true financial security. Every morning I have a statement that I read, and every morning I have my kids read their own statement, and it's things you need to declare over your life. And one thing is, is that – I will over deliver. I do over deliver because it's so important. Um, you know that, and, and the way my actual statement says this is my financial peace and security come from that fact that I over deliver. Because if you over deliver, whether you're an employee or a business owner, you're going to be the person that people are going to remember. Um, think about the difference between going into some hotel that you probably don't even remember because they didn't over deliver, and think about walking into a Four Seasons where you know you check in and you you go upstairs and your kids have cookies and stuffed animals and uh, they take great care of you. You come back from the pool, your your beds uh, and your room is cleaned a second time that evening. So, I mean, there's just differences in businesses that over-deliver and you can go on and on about bigger businesses like Apple and Disney and you just focus on mimicking those over-deliverers. What do they do to make them so unique? And the second thing I would tell myself is to not focus on the money, focus on the people. And that kind of ties into the over-delivering because I think – as a young entrepreneur and an early entrepreneur, you are absolutely focused on the money because if you don't have the money, you can't pay your bills and your 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 life's going to kind of sort of implode. But uh, you know, I tell you, um, and it's and the irony of it is, is I once I started making more money. I was able to focus more on the people and more on over delivering. And as that happened, as, as I almost forgot about the money and just focused on the people and just focus on customer satisfaction, that is when I started making more money than I'd ever thought I could make in my life. Mm -hmm. No, that is, man, that is ironic, but I can I definitely see that correlation. Very interesting. Another phenomenal answer. That, that was very, very good. Let me ask you, I'm just curious or, and if you don't want to get into this, no problem. But do you foresee any major crashes or anything in the upcoming future with our economy? I'm just curious. You know, I think it's overdue. But here's the here's the issue: the uh, the central banks are 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 heavily involved in our markets today, like never before. It's unprecedented. Whether you're talking about the low interest rates or one third of central banks having negative interest rates, if you think about that, in five thousand years of monetary history. There's never been a situation where you have negative interest rates because if you think about it and go to the next step, a negative interest rate is really a default and people are accepting this. If you loan somebody $10 and they say, hey, I'm going to pay you back $9.50, they're defaulting on $0.50 cents, and that is a negative interest rate and that is acceptable to one-third of the world right now. And the, and the central banks are also intervening in the purchase of stocks. If you look at the recent SEC disclosures uh, from the Swiss National Bank and the Norwegian Central Bank, and I assume there are other central banks out there that won't disclose this, but at least two of them did. These these banks are buying $30, $40 billion worth of U.S. stocks. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that is really artificial demand for our stock market because they are creating the money with no cost. Uh, they are creating the money out of thin air in order to buy fractional shares, uh, fractional pieces of a business like Apple and Google and all these great businesses that we have. So these businesses and these stocks are being inflated 
by central banks literally printing money out of thin air and buying the shares. Um, and they've been doing this with bonds now for years and especially since the 2008-2009 the crisis when the quantitative easing and all this stuff, that's essentially what they were doing. Central banks were printing money to buy each other's bonds. Um, so is a crash coming? Gosh, I think a big one is coming. But is it coming this year or next year? I honestly don't think so because I think the central planners are so – neck deep in this thing, uh, I don't think they can just allow a 10 or 20% correction because the problem is it could unwind the whole system. So I, I, my, my opinion is, is that as much of a case that I could make that the U.S. uh, stock market and even the currency itself is in somewhat of a bubble, I would, I would bet, and I could, I'm telling you my, my money's involved in it. I'm, I'm betting with my money. I would bet the Dow Jones is going to 30 and 50,000 before it, uh, before it goes back down to 10,000 or 15,000 or has a big crash. Cause what people don't understand is, is now the system is more glued than ever together. And all these central banks are on emergency measures. You know, we're trying to say that, oh, it's, 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 we're living in a normal situation. We're not. It's, you know, the central banks, if you look at their policies, they're at, they're at crisis uh, levels here. They're at crisis uh, uh, strategies, unprecedented strategies. And you can't unwind that. Just to give somebody an idea real quick, and I'll end on that one with in regards to the economy, unless you want to talk about it more. The U.S. debt, uh, the $20 trillion number, uh, the interest on it is about $286 billion a year. If interest rates just go up to, say, 2%, 3%, you're talking about five, $600 billion. If interest rates go to normal levels, just like 5 6%, we're not even talking about high interest rates like they did it, like we had in the 70s where they went to the teens. If interest rates just went up to normalized levels, you're looking at over a trillion dollars of interest on an income of about $2.6 trillion. That's getting near 50% of the income of the United States going towards interest. Okay, so that just can't happen. That is absolute chaos. Um, and you know, as bad as it sounds, don't get bearish on the US because if you're feeling a little blue, let me give you some optimism. You look at the European Union or you look at even China, especially Japan, much worse situation. And so what I tell a lot of people who are very bearish on the dollar because I'm a bear on the dollar over the long term. However, when you compare it versus other currencies in the short term, the dollar is the tallest midget in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good stuff. Um, so, I mean, I just think about if, you, if you're in the wrong spot timing-wise in the future and you're relying on that 401k or something similar, you may be disappointed. Is that true from, a, I guess, a high level? Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I would say that this is a great reason for entrepreneurship, uh, because I, I and, and and you don't need to have a dollar invested in Wall Street. That's another thing. Like you don't need to be sending your money to people who make a commission on every penny you you send them, and they get paid no matter what. There's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur or having money involved in private businesses. In fact, before the four hundred one k. Honestly, most people did not own stocks. I want to say in the 60s, and I'm just going off the top of my head, only like 13% of the population owned stocks. Uh, you know, you go back to the 1929 crash, it was probably less than 2% of the population that owned stocks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, look, these are this is a different ballgame. And, uh, you know, oftentimes 
and more than more often than not, your the, your best returns are going to be from that person you're staring at in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, great advice. Well, let me ask you this: this is uh, this is interesting. How does someone become an expert? in their niche. So what's that process look like? You know, for you, when you got started, obviously you, you followed a path that got you to where you are. What advice would you give to somebody else starting off? I think it's hours and it's, it's doing, it's just doing, 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 you know, I, I, I speak to people all the time. I've got a few people who uh, work for us, uh, recent college grads. They went to, you know, certain, just certain degrees in computer programming. And honestly, the, 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 the guys that have they come up to me and they email me out of the blue and they say, Hey, I've been making videos on a, on a Mac for four years or three years or whatever. Those guys are the experts, even though they don't have the degree. So I, and I'm not dissing the degrees of course, but I'm just saying ultimately what it shows me is that just doing, so you're not an expert today, but you can become an expert. And if you're a young entrepreneur or, or a, an entrepreneur who's just starting out, one of the things I tell my friends, maybe you're an entrepreneur and you don't have that expertise that the client is looking for. So what you, what you can do in order to get that expert expertise, in order to get that experience in your belt, you give your service away for free or you grossly undercharge. And that way you're becoming an expert. You're getting job experience in your field. And most importantly, you're creating a testimonial with this current client. So a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs fail because they can't close a, a sale. And, you know, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time and I say, look, you know, if everybody else in your industry is charging, let's say $3,000 or $5,000, why not go up to a potential client and let me just put it in real terms. Let's say you make websites and you, and everybody's charging three to five grand to build a website. Why not go up to a realtor or up to a local shop and say, Hey, I want to, I want to make a, 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 a website so good that I can make reference to it. And in exchange for being able to make references to it, I'd like to do this for you. Our normal rate is 3000. I'd like to charge you $300. You're almost, I mean, it's basically giving you this website, but in exchange for that, I might send two people a month uh, to ask you uh, to say that you're you 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 know you became my customer, uh, and you know there's all kinds of ways to to build that expertise and that experience. And uh, I would say the fastest way, if you're an early entrepreneur, is to grossly undercharge and grossly overdeliver. No, I couldn't agree with anything you said more. That's that's excellent. I, I've done the same thing. I've uh, said that, you know the power of that really really solid testimonial is uh, it goes a long way. And you know the thing about just do. I was actually talking to somebody today, and um, we were talking about I don't know if it was a project or an idea or something. And I said you know at the end of the day, there's two types of people. There's talkers and there's doers. I said you, you got to be a doer. You, you got to be a doer. You're going to be in the same place. You are today, a year from now, still talking about the same stuff. You just got to do it. So it's it's great advice. And you know what? Failure, don't be scared of it. It's part of the process. If you fail, you know that you're doing something. So it's a nice little check and balance there. Yeah, for an entrepreneur, no is always the first answer. So just know that and don't care about it. You just got to keep going, 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 going. Um, you know, I think that's uh, – one thing that it, it does fascinate me with, with all entrepreneurs that I speak to, especially successful ones, uh, failure is not an issue at all. And I got to say, I've thrown so much money at things that have failed and we've tried things that have failed. And honestly, we just move on. We don't even think about it. It's nothing to us. We just keep going. Mm -hmm. That's a great perspective. 
Well, Daniel, what's next for you and your company? What are you kind of looking at or thinking about for the rest of 2017? You know, for the rest of 2017, um, we're just very focused on, uh, you know, making sure the quality is there for everybody who's subscribed, everybody who's reading our content. So we're always looking for new financial ideas. We're traveling around. Uh, we're getting ready to go to Vancouver for a few weeks in order to uh, meet with some some natural resource companies because we think the commodities have bottomed. So that's our main focus right now is basically due diligence. Uh, we're heavy into the marijuana space and, and cryptocurrencies when it comes to our investments. So we're simply uh, we're doing a lot of traveling for the remainder of the year. And then when it comes to the uh, the business side of it and the operating side of it, um, you know, our, our main our main goal is just finding those right people, those unicorns, because every industry, uh, you know, you'll have, you know, one fascinating stat from the uh, from the mining world that I'm aware of is, you know, the only less than 1% of geologists ever make a discovery. But here's the crazy part that less than 1% that do make a discovery, they go on to make a second and a third and a fourth and a seventh and a 10th. So that's who we're out there looking for, whether it's in the mining world, or the marijuana business or the technology business, you got to find the unicorns and you got to stick with them. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I'm confident somebody listening or a couple somebody's listening would like to hear more from you. What's the best way they could get in contact with you? If you go to futuremoneytrends.com, you can subscribe free to our Weekly Wealth Digest. Every Wednesday, we put out a Weekly Wealth Digest. Uh, every Sunday, I'll either put out an investment idea or a personal finance tip. And everything that I suggest, I'm doing. So whether it's the peer-to-peer -peer lending or if it's in a stock or buying single-family homes with owner financing, no matter what, I'm, I'm doing it myself. Awesome. 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 Well, I really want to thank you for your time today. This has been a, another episode just absolutely full of great nuggets, and I appreciate it very much. Hey, thanks, Jason. It was great being on the show. Awesome. Take care. All right. We are back to the show. Daniel, thank you, my friend, for the information and for your time. If everybody listening would like to check out the show notes, you can go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 89. We will have some conversation highlights there for you. Daniel's bio and some other links and things as well. So check that out for sure. Um, I hope you guys have a great week this week. I hope you guys are looking back over your shoulder at basically the first three quarters of 2017. It'll be a little bit later by the time you're hearing my voice, but um, hopefully you're looking at your year and you, you see that you've accomplished most of your goals. If not, you've got, um, you, you've got three months to get it done. You know, I don't take that lightly. When I set goals for a year, I like to get them done. I like to be a finisher, and I encourage you guys to be the same way in that regard. So think about that. Think about what you need to do to hit the rest of your goals. Take control this week and make it happen. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your ear as always, and we will catch up with you again next week for another episode of the show. Take care. Thanks for listening to Intentionally Inspirational. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or check us out on SoundCloud. To check out all of our resources for your startup business success, visit our website at intentionallyinspirational.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.